Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Let me give you a quick announcement um, before we <clears throat> turn to the scripture for today. Clear back when um, COVID hit, we tried to reduce the interaction in the nursery and so forth. And so at the early service, we stopped having um, a nursery. We, we need at least a toddler infant nursery at 8.30. We have the full nursery and full children's church and all that at the 10.15. But um, we need um, a couple volunteers, maybe more than a couple, um, that could help us on just toddler nursery, um, infant nursery on 8.30 Sunday mornings. We're, we have enough volunteers that I think most of the time, if I'm not mistaken, you have to serve like once every six weeks, um, which hasn't killed anybody yet that I'm aware of. So anyway, we just need a little bit of help there so that we can provide uh, infant toddler nursery for this service. So uh, Jackie, would you, yes, Jackie, if, if she, she, Jackie is our children's director and she will be back in the children's area, which is just right out here. So if you are, if this is the most exciting announcement you've ever heard search her out and um, talk to her and get more information. All right. <clears throat> Let's turn to Matthew 24. I want to read a lot of scripture today, um, but <clears throat> that's okay. Matthew 24 and 25 are called the Olivet Discourse. This is when Jesus said the most that he ever said about end times. We're spending several Sundays looking at what's called eschatology, the doctrine of last things. We need to remember something here. I, I, I have so much that I need to stick to my notes today uh, to get through, but I want to remind us of the basics as we face into the doctrine and the teaching from Scripture about end times. There are specific events that, that God has said will take place. Those are indisputable. They're non-negotiable. There is the whole issue of how those events are arranged. What's the timing? Sometimes what's the chronology? And that is an area which the Bible is not very clear on. And if it, God's not clear on something, there's a reason for it. <clears throat> Mostly it doesn't matter. The timing is not the issue. It seems that much of what we... Um, bicker about today in the whole doctrine of end times is the timing. Is there a seven-year tribulation followed by uh, the rapture, followed by a thousand years reign, or is it, you know, 
the Bible, no matter what anybody tells you, the Bible is not specific. Will there be a rapture? Yes. Will there be a judgment? Yes. Will there be a resurrection? Yes. We know that. When? How close? I don't know. So there mean, needs to be certainty on some things and uncertainty where uncertainty is warranted. Now, in Matthew 24 and 25, and skipping some, a little portion of 25, that's a lot of reading. I timed it this morning. We will live. But, we need, I will make just a couple of comments as we move through it. But remember this. There are two things Jesus is referring to here. And I think we'll see as we get into it. Number one, he is referring to the impending doom of Jerusalem. The tearing down of the temple. That's fulfilled in 70 AD, roughly 40 years after he speaks it. So that's mingled in a bit more at the front end of what he has to say in chapter 24. And then, as the disciples ask, the sign of his return, remember, he hadn't been, he, he hadn't been crucified yet. That was three days off. But they recognized, as he always told them, there are two events. One is his crucifixion his resurrection, his suffering. And then there will be a further ultimate event, which is his return to earth to gather the believers to himself. So it's both of these things he's talking about, and some of it's mingled. So it makes it a bit difficult to understand in some cases. So beginning with verse 1 of 24... Jesus came out from the temple and was going away with his, when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. That's the Jerusalem Judea destruction. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, notice the question, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? What's these things? Not a stone left upon another. The tearing down of the temple. The destruction. Okay? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Clearly, two distinct questions. One, what's the immediate destruction of Judah all about? And when will you return? So, we, we have to remember that this is mingled. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time many will fall away 
and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. Therefore, when you see... <clears throat> now, he just finished talking about some end times things, not Jerusalem. Now he shifts back. When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, in other words, inside the holy of holies in the temple, let the reader understand then those who are, who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. That can be speaking of both of these cases. The destruction of Judea and the temple and of the end times. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ, false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and no one knows what that is. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Clearly that's end times, not just the temple in Judea. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer's near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. When he said this generation, he was not talking about them who were standing there listening to him. Because that means all of this would have happened in times to them. He simply means once it begins to show itself and we begin to discern it, it will happen rapidly and the generation that sees the beginning of these signs will see the end. Now, 36, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand till the flood came took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave when his master finds, whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place for the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be com comparable to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were prudent or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flasks along with their, their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. While they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. The word no means acknowledge. Not that he didn't know who they were. I don't acknowledge you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Now, the parable of the talents, the servants given five, three, and one talents. The master went on a long journey, came back, called for an accounting. The ten had doubled, or the five doubled to ten. Three, or two, I mean, had doubled to five. And the one had done nothing. That is basically telling us at the judgment we will be simply judged on what, what we know as far as light, what opportunities we had, and we will be judged not on quantity, but quality. Now, go to 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit in His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave Me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, 
you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's a lot of scripture. Those are the most words Jesus spoke about <clears throat> events to come. Let me then look at several things today. We obviously can't get through all that the scripture speaks of today. But suffice it to say, throughout the entire New Testament, there, is, there are two events. Jesus forecast the immediate event of his suffering. And then he specifically, intentionally, continually spoke of an ultimate second event, which was his return. That is the backdrop of the whole New Testament. Not only do we have the words of Jesus that we just read here, but in the book of Acts, when the angels spoke to the disciples as Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, in just the same way he ascended into heaven, he'll return, visibly. Paul, all the writers of the letters, always held out as a sustaining hope to every believer. Don't give up. Hold steady. Remain faithful. He'll return. Now, Peter warned that even if his return is longer than we thought, which it is, he said, don't think that he's not going to fulfill it. The reason he delays is because he's long-suffering and he does not want anyone to perish. So, it is mercy, kindness, and redemptiveness that Jesus does not return now, or as immediately as everyone thought he would. <clears throat> so, let me give you, I'll stick to my notes so clearly, hopefully, that I'll give you, I'll give you the points. Roman numeral one, <clears throat> certainty and characteristics of his return. It will happen. He will keep his word. And what will be characteristics of that return? Number one, <clears throat> it will be, this is a sobering thought, it will be so sudden that there will be no opportunity for adjustment. I just want that to sink in. Not only to you, but to me, all I read and all we could have read from other portions of the New Testament, there is 
no hint anywhere of time to get ready. That's why Jesus said, always be ready, be ready. I will return at a time, not only he said, when you don't know it, but he also said, I'll return in a time when you don't think I will. It is a return so sudden that there will be no opportunity for apologies, repentance, hunting up the preacher. Second, and it will be so final that it fixes for all eternity the condition in which that return finds us. If we are not ready, we don't have time to get ready, and that unreadiness will be fixed for eternity. For the righteous, the same thing. <clears throat> What's the purpose of his return? The certainty in the characteristics, it's sudden and final. What's the purpose? That's Roman numeral two. A, to reveal his glory. This is vindication. Jesus, to this day, if you ever you read the end of Matthew, the common myth was, ah, he didn't rise from the dead. His disciples came and stole his body away at night. And then it says in Matthew, and this report is spoken of yet today. Jesus' vindication, his glory, he came in humiliation, humbleness. He will not return like that. He will return in the full glory of who he is, God. Second, he comes to divide mankind. The angels, he said, will come and separate the evil from the righteous. There will be a great division. There's a great division now. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword. And he said, a person's enemies will be the members of their own household. It will divide that deeply. So Jesus came, obviously, to call us all. But in calling us all, everyone who resists that call puts themselves in, on the other side. And there are only two sides to be on when it comes to Jesus. And he said, the angels will make a final separation based on the choice to separate that we have made. Either separate from the world or separate from God. So, to divide mankind. Three, to terminate probation. What do I mean by probation? We are, as long as we're in this world, we're on probation. Meaning, 
I have an opportunity to decide to walk with Jesus, to trust in him, or I have an opportunity to say no to him. And as long as we breathe, there are still three things we face, three issues. Number one, we always have a free will. Two, we always have frailties, meaning we're fallen. That doesn't mean if Christians, speaking to Christians now, doesn't mean that Christians who are fallen are also wicked. Not wicked, but we're flawed. We're human. We're dumb. Uh, we are easily duped at times. Um, our judgment is flawed. Our thinking is flawed. Our emotions are often a mess and the most unreliable guides we have. All of that, plus a free will, so a free will, frailties, and a foe, a supernatural foe, Satan, who is the deceiver. Why does he try to deceive us? Because he knows we still have a choice. If we no longer had a choice, he's up to the dumbest endeavor known. But we do have a choice. Up until we stop breathing, I have a choice. And God and Satan together will appeal to my dignity as a human created in the image and likeness of God, which includes a free will. I can choose yes or no. He comes to put an end to that. There will not be, and there is no hint kind of jumping ahead a bit, can't help it, but there are those who believe that Christ, um, the rapture, precedes tribulation, times of difficulty, and so forth, and that during those times of difficulty, when people get their eyes open, then they'll have a chance to get saved. So in other words, after God pulls the church out, there's still an opportunity for a second chance. It's not in there. Any place. Any place. And the only thing I can tell you, and I'll not get too far ahead of myself, this new truth, I'm being a bit sarcastic, this brand new truth was discovered in about 1850 by a group called the Plymouth Brethren, led by a guy named John Darby, okay? I don't know what God and all the saints, the Holy Spirit, was doing for 1,800 years before he managed to get around and correct our thinking. Jesus said, don't let anyone mislead you. Many, he said, will come and say this and say that. Don't be misled. There is no hint in Scripture of some kind of second chance after the end times begin to unfold. So he comes to end probation. 
Fourth, comes to judge the wicked. Makes that very clear. To judge the wicked, and the scripture makes clear that God the Father appointed Jesus as the judge. We read that in the Apostles' Creed. From thence, says Jesus, ascended into heaven. From thence, he will return to judge the living and the dead. That second coming, then, there's major events in it. Number one is to gather believers to himself and two, pronounce judgment on the wicked. So one of the purposes of his coming, to judge the wicked. Finally, to redeem his own people, gather us to himself. Paul said he will catch up the dead in Christ, and then all who are still living, Christians at that time, will be changed, given a glorified body, along with the resurrected dead. We will be gathered, he says, to meet him in the air. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. Now, when he redeems us, what does he redeem? The word redeem is to buy back, to, to bring out of. What does he redeem us from? At least three things. One, finally redeem us out of an oppressively wicked environment that we experience here in this world. And along with that oppressively wicked environment, and it contributes to this next thing, he delivers us from probationary uncertainties. In other words, continued temptations, opportunities to fall away. Because oh, we'll look at in a moment, one of the signs of his coming, great falling away of who? Not the wicked, the church. He redeems us from that time of possibility of falling away. Second, just to gather us to himself. He says, you will be with me. John 14. We read that at nearly every Christian funeral. I go to prepare a place so that where I am, there you may be also. Finally, there's no separation, no bail from us and Jesus. And finally, to redeem his people from the limitations of flesh and blood. We'll have glorified bodies. No more. Nobody will be dumb anymore. Okay? No one will have poor judgment. So, listen, for all of us here that are dumb, there's hope. <clears throat> no, no being deceived. Um, none of the, in addition to the spiritual warfare that we have, just the, the warfare of life. Um, I don't know what will happen to me in the future, but right now I've been fortunate enough not to have much wrong with me through my life. And so I go to the doctor once or twice a year to get some blood pressure medicine, okay? Because I'm a preacher. I put up with lay people all the time. My blood pressure's up. Um, 
So fortunately, but man, I, and I'm, I honestly, I'm grateful. I go there, I stand in line, you know, all masked up, and hear everybody else say, you know, I need to get this prescription filled. I'm here to see so-and-so for this or for that. I've got to have this test, that test. And I'm thinking, this is what we live in, in a fallen world where there's decay and eventual death and sickness and disease and it seems like there is no end to this and I find myself thinking well when I was younger and there was nothing wrong with me and I knew everything I always secretly thought oh man these old people what in the world um, they've always got some ache, they pain you some pain. You ask them how they're doing. Well, they got to tell you, well, and I think, God, help me not to be like that. And then I find myself, people, here, how's your vertigo when I was staggered off? And so then I think, man, I'm just like the people I thought when I was young are decrepit and old talking about what their problems are. He came to redeem us from all that came to redeem us from all that. I said, I'm going to give you a new body that will never die, never be diseased, never be flawed. Um, and by the way, in heaven, you won't need any kind of, you won't have any problems with insomnia. I just got done reading in Revelation. He says, there's no night there. So you're not going to sleep. So that means you've got to listen to your wife for 24 hours. Um, there is no marriage in heaven, okay? Jesus will redeem us from all that is heavy on us here. Um, and the clouds are journey. Now, point three, manner and time of his return. That sounds a bit like the previous, but there's some differences. One, suddenly. We've already covered that one, but suddenly. And what does he give us? He gives us three illustrations. The flood, which came so rapidly that no one but the eight who were prepared were saved. Two, a thief breaking in at night. And then three, the ten virgins. Notice what he said about the ten virgins. Virgins. It happened so quickly that the bridegroom came. They had no time, no time to go get extra oil to keep their lamps burning because they said, our lamps are going out right as we speak. And there was no time to go get it. And remember, too, the sobering words. Those who were ready went into the marriage supper and in the sentence it says and the door was shut that's the same thing it's the same phrase at the flood Noah and his family entered and it says and God shut the door I don't know if anybody tried to pound on it and get in but it was too late so it will be sudden it will be visible and open very briefly, this is another thing about some of the rapture theories. It'll be secret. It won't be known. 
All of a sudden, there'll be driverless cars on the freeway. No, it won't. And notice, Jesus said, if they say to you, he's returned and he's out in the desert, or he's returned and he's in the inner rooms, he's hiding someplace, he said, don't believe it. And then what did he say? He said, as the lightning comes from the east and shines clear to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. It will be totally visible to every human being. He will come, it says, with the sound of a great trumpet, and the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll. The notion then of this secret rapture, which then all everybody that's left has this second chance to get saved because they wake up and realize, I got left. It's not in the Bible. It's just not there. It will be visible, open. It will be preceded, we don't know by how long, by several things. Five things Jesus mentioned. One, worldwide preaching of the gospel. The gospel will be preached in every tongue and language to whatever sufficiency God thinks it ought to be. The gospel will get out. Two, Religious authority of the Antichrist. I don't know. We'll talk about it next Sunday, the Lord willing. But I'm not even positive, and many aren't, that there's a person that's the Antichrist. It can be a power. It can be an, a whole organization. The spirit of Antichrist, John said, is already working in the world. So it can be an organization that smothers to its best ability Christianity. It may have a, a head of it, but it doesn't necessarily, the Antichrist, there's no way to count the number of people down through the ages that have been the Antichrist, for sure. If you read, I will read common commentaries and commentators from even the 1600s, the 1700s. Who's, who's the Antichrist? Well, he lives in the Vatican. I mean, there isn't a Protestant in the first 1500s, 1600s, 17, even to the 18, who didn't think it's the Pope. Well, then it became, I've even heard Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. We all know Hillary Clinton was the Antichrist. Honestly, there have been, there are billions of people that have been named over the years. That's, I think that's the Antichrist. I'm not even sure that it's a being, a person. It's a spirit. It's an attitude. It's an organization that will persecute and squelch and smother and do its best to destroy belief, faith in Christ. So I don't even know if there is one person from what John said. But there will be worldwide preaching of the gospel, some kind of authority that will do its best to destroy the church, there will be a great falling away among believers. 
Jesus said, and it's, I'm reading from the New American Standard, and they translate, instead of many, will, the love of many will grow cold, they translate it most. And that's what the word implies. It means a, the vast majority of professing Christians. Iniquity will be so deep and so widespread that the love for Jesus and the scripture and walking with God will grow cold. So a great falling away. That phrase comes from Paul and Thessalonians. There'll be a great falling away. Many, he said, will come and false prophets will abound. A third thing, there will be an in, a period of intense tribulation. The idea that the tribulation will be seven years long is not established in Scripture either. Um, there's some who think from seven days or you know whatever. We don't know. And I'm also convinced that, and, and virtually every Bible teacher believes this, there won't be anything special about the tribulation, meaning brand new types of punishment, of torment, of persecution. We, we've already seen all of them, all down through the ages. It will just be more intense of the same kinds of persecution and torment and temptation. They can only kill you once. And we go down through history all the way from burning, beheading, crucifying, feeding to the lions. These have already been thought of. So the idea that the tribulation will be a whole brand new type of kinds of torment doesn't make any sense. We've seen them all. It will just be intensely so of all of them. Some kind of last spasm of persecution. And then catastrophic events in the natural world. Famines, earthquakes, so forth. Also speaks of stars falling, moon turning to blood. That's figurative. It's not literally turning. What is it? Type A? No, it can't be taken literally. So lately, I can't keep track of it. What do we got with the fourth blood moon or whatever? Everybody's just bug-eyed over. Listen, it can also mean, as it does in many other places in the scripture, it's talking about world leaders as stars falling. We don't know for sure, but there will be cataclysmic events in the natural <clears throat> world. And they will be supernatural, not brought on by burning coal, as we hear all the time. It's not going to be man-made. God will do it, and we'll know who did it. Final summary then here. All the exhortations that Jesus gives in these two chapters uh, we've read, really bring us 
today to a couple things. One, we are to live every day, whether we are acknowledging it or not, we live every day in the light of judgment. There's a looming judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die. And when will that be in your case and my case? You don't know. It's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. So we live with a looming judgment that for me and you, who may not live to the second coming, it's a day closer for me than it was yesterday. It's appointed unto man wants to die, then the judgment. If our lives are never interrupted by the second coming, they will be interrupted by death. The vast majority of us, all those who've lived since Adam, never saw the second coming, never saw the return of Christ in the clouds, but they were ushered into a judgment when they breathed their last. That's what I got to worry about a whole lot more then what are, what's the 14th blood moon, supposedly? Some preacher came up who's got a chart on it. And that brings me to the last point. Everything Jesus told us about readiness has nothing to do with knowledge of how the end times are going to unfold and in what order, but with an enduring heart loyalty to love God today with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. That's the lesson we take away from these two chapters, the most words Jesus ever spoke about the end. Let's bow our heads. We'll close in a moment <clears throat> with prayer. Went a bit over, for which I apologize, but <clears throat> these are sobering truths we have to know. Father in heaven, sobering is right, but if taken to heart, very encouraging to know that we can, that our hearts can be right with you, that we live in the state that we want to spend eternity in, and that is with you, not apart from you, not hearing the words, depart from me for I never knew you. So Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that each person in this room that may be walking with you now or who may not know you, who have not made that decision to be forgiven, and accept it into the kingdom. May these truths rest on us. And may we realize that the answer is found in Jesus. So that the state, the condition of our hearts as we walk here on earth may be the same for eternity. And we only do that by your grace and by your mercy and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may we do it all to your glory. So may these truths rest on us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we close, I want to give everybody an opportunity to lift your voices up also in prayer. So if you would please stand. Um, we're going to all together, if you will, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer this morning before we part ways, if that's okay. Uh, should be on the screen, I do believe. Yep, right there. 
So if you don't know it, there's the words. If you do, would you pray along with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone. Love you a bunch.